Knuckleball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB Sports app now. Now you're very welcome back. So Carlo Ancelotti continues to have one of the truly great football careers as player and as a manager. It's outrageous. And now it seems he's adding coach of Brazil to his CV. Very happy to say Tim Vickery is with us. Hello, good to talk to you. Lovely to be here. The operative words there were, it seems. Ah, go on. Well, we know that Brazil's FA want Carlo Ancelotti and we know that they think that Carlo Ancelotti will be taking over in a year's time. But we haven't heard any of this from Carlo Ancelotti. Nor can we really because he's under contract with Real Madrid. He said that he wants to respect that contract. That contract has another year. Although there's talk in Spain at the moment about Real Madrid giving him an extra year on top of that. Uh, And uh, so he's not free to enter into an arrangement um, to sign a pre-contract until the last six months of his existing one, which would be in January. Uh, And uh, there's still some things to, to, to work out. Who's going to be on his coaching staff? And there's a big one coming down the line. Where's he going to be based? Now, this goes a little bit under the radar screen, but Argentina's coach, Lionel Scaloni, just won the World Cup. He lives in Spain. Now, that makes a lot of sense. You're close to where all your players are. Would Brazil allow Ancelotti to, to be based in Europe? That's, that's, a, that, that's a tough one. You know, that, 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 that's a tough one. This is, uh, this is an appointment. Appointing a foreign coach really puts the cat amongst the pigeons in, in, in Brazil. Uh, and so we're not there yet. Uh, and what they've done now, putting in a, a stand-in, I think probably complicates matters even further. Well, it's an odd way of doing business because I like I can't move but for seeing quotes from the chief of the Brazilian FA talking about Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah, true. <laughs> but you can move um, without coming across uh, quotes from Carlo Ancelotti talking about uh, talking about taking a Brazil job. Well, that's true. That's true. I presume, um, I mean, you'd have a better feel for the Brazilian FA chief than I. Would he be so inclined as to take a bit of a kite and just go with a half an eyebrow uh, lift from Carlo and say, <laughs> well, that's that deal done? Or, or, or is he a fairly reliable type? Well, they've been courting him for, for a while uh, and they think that that they're there. But as I say, what they're doing at the moment with the stand-in complicates things because effectively, I I think they haven't appointed a stand-in for Ancelotti. I think they've appointed a rival to Ancelotti. So this is Fernando Diniz. It is, yes. Now, see, I suspect here that the original idea, there was a caretaker coach, uh, Hamon, Hamon Menezes, who was the coach of the under-20 team. And I suspect that the original idea was, let's keep him in charge for a year. But that's run into the problem of results. Um, With his under-20 team, uh, Ramon's Brazil, they were eliminated in in the World Cup at that level by Israel. Uh, And uh, with the senior team, they lost to Morocco in March and they got hammered by Senegal a couple of weeks ago. So that made Ramon a difficult sell to be the to, to be the stand-in coach, I think that they, they they decided they needed a name with more with more credibility, uh, and so they've gone for Fernando Diniz, who is fascinating, and they're they're, they're really fascinating um, days ahead. Diniz is a one-off, 
I mean, uh, the, the the boss of Brazil's FA, Ednaldo Rodriguez, he said yesterday, uh, Fernando Geniz and, and Ancelotti, they have a similar tactical approach. It ain't so, Joe. I'm going to say it's not so, Joe, because no one has the same tactical approach as Fernando Geniz. He is, and th- this is what makes him interesting. It means that he keeps getting jobs, although there's not a great deal on his CV. He's a one-off. He does things his way. He's never been an assistant. He was a coach. He was a player. He's also a trained psychologist. Uh, and uh, uh, from a player and a trained psychologist, he, he became a coach. And the way his teams play is fascinating. And they build out from the back, which has led to, oh, yeah, this is Guardiola. It isn't. Huge differences. And the, the, the Guardiola school, the kind of positional school, everything is kind of drilled. You know, you don't have players on the same vertical level. You don't have players on the same horizontal level, uh, meaning that everyone's at an angle from everyone else. Um, that's the positional thing. And it means that the man on the ball has a guarantee of, of a number of options of pass. Fernando Denise is absolutely anarchic, off the cuff. There's no positional responsibility. Go and play it as you see it. It's like a huge extension of street football. Um, one of his things, as a psychologist, I think... He thinks the players are always capable of more, mm-hmm. you know. And even the most lumbering centre back in 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 professional football was the king of his street, and you can get more from him. Uh, and and so his teams they tend to play with very little structure. They're fascinating to watch. You know, they'll bring everyone over to one side of the field and maybe leave one player on the other side of the field and play their little short passing movements and then maybe go for a switch. But there isn't anything like the structure of a team that there is in, say, the Guardiola model, which which makes them fascinating to watch, also makes them very vulnerable. Uh, they can they can concede. It, it, it can leave the defence exposed when they lose possession of the ball. So he's a one-off. He's not in the same mould of Ancelotti. He's in the mould of Fernando Diniz and no one else. Uh, <laughs> I have to laugh here because this is not what I was expecting you to say on several fronts. Can I just tell you what your chief of the Brazilian FA is saying? Alongside the fact that Carlo Ancelotti is going to be the next manager in 2024. Yeah. So of uh, Fernando Diniz, who sounds like an inter- interesting chap, I have to say. Mm. The Brazilian FA head says that Fernando Diniz's game plan is almost similar to that of the coach that will be taking over at Copa America Ancelotti, i.e., We've picked Denise because he is uh, so similar to Ancelotti. The players won't even notice the change. There'll be no great transition. This is just like... <laughs> that is not what you're selling me here, Tim. Fernando Denise, he's doing his initial press conference as we speak. So I've had to come away from oh, from it to uh, okay. for the, the, the dubious pleasure of talking to your good self. Yeah. And he won't answer questions about Ancelotti. Won't do it. Not his game, mate. Don't know him. Never spoken to him. <laughs> I'm only getting so. As I, I went back to, the, the, to what I said at the start, what they've done, they haven't chosen a stand-in, a natural stand-in. They've chosen a rival mm. because Denise was a rival for 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 the position. He's he's he's, he's a stand-in for for no one. Uh, having him combine the two jobs because he's coach of Fluminense, yeah, um, who have since. It, the hype around Fernando Diniz really exploded. They've had a bad time. Two wins in the last 12 games. Uh, and some would say, I mean, I've, I've been at some of those games. I was at the last home game. 
and many supporters of Fluminense, they love the style of play, but they say it's always got a built-in sell-by date. It's a it's a method of play. It, it's based on the connections, on the human connections between between the players. And it, it's something that needs intensive work on the training ground that he doesn't have. And this is the thing that all international coaches complain about. You know, you, you've only got with World Cup qualifiers, they've got six rounds of World Cup qualifiers this year. You've got a day's training. So it'll be fascinating to see how how he copes with that. But also being coach of Fluminense puts him in a difficult position because it means that almost every game now that he plays with Fluminense is like a referendum on the on the, on the national team coach. It means that he he it will inevitably be caught up in conflict of interest accusations every time he calls up a squad. You know, why have you called up X player from Y Brazilian club? Is it because you want to tire him out and 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 they're playing Fluminense next? Or is it, you know, yeah. all of this will be nonsense, but he, he will be accused of this all the time. And then you've got the real problem here. If he does well, because if he does well, then... Because a lot of people, especially the older ones, really don't like the idea of having a foreign coach for the national team. Yeah, really don't like it at all. We've got people here. Uh, well, they haven't got anyone with a CV of of Ancelotti. And as I say, Denise's CV is pretty thin. He's won one major title, which was the Rio State Championship. He hasn't got any national titles, any, anything like that. And he hasn't really come that close. He gets jobs because the football looks so good when it works. It it, it looks brilliant. Mm. If, if if he was ordinary, he wouldn't have um, he wouldn't have got the amount of jobs that that he's had, based um, based on his track record. But if he does well, then that thing makes things really difficult for Ancelotti. It does, and it, it, it will lead to lots of people saying, "Well, we don't need him anyway." Ancelotti is you know the the line around the world, everywhere except in Brazil. It it turns out is that uh, he's coming in for the Copa America twenty twenty four in the USA as well. Mm. Denise will be afforded the start of the. World Cup qualifiers from six rounds, yes. September. That includes, you know, match at home to the world champions Argentina in November. So, I mean, if they put on a bit of a show and beat the world champions 2-3-0 and the football is beautiful, Carlo's not packing his bag. That's what you're telling me. Well, it, it just makes things complicated. and it almost, it almost works more smoothly in the plans of Brazil's FA uh, if they don't do so well because... In large World Cup, everyone in South America is going to qualify. Of the 10 teams, six go through automatically, one goes into a playoff place. You cannot imagine Brazil, Brazil failure to qualify. So if, if they make a mediocre start or a bad start under Denise, they've always got time to make it up afterwards. If they got off to a good start, then one or two things happen. Uh, number one, the, the Ancelotti thing ends up not happening. Or number two, it happens, but Ancelotti is under immediate pressure right from the start because he's taken the job of someone who, who who's done very well before him. It, it, it's such a strange way for the Brazilian FA to, to go about yeah. things. Very strange. Are they being criticised? Oh, obviously, yeah. yeah. Yeah, massively. Massive criticisms. Criticisms for, from different perspectives. One for going after a foreign coach. Okay. Uh, one for being willing to wait a year for any coach, no matter his nationality. Mm. Uh, one line is uh, for bringing in someone who's already got a job and he's involved in these conflicts of interests. So uh, uh, lots and lots of criticism being aimed at the way that a Brazilian FA going about this. So he would be the first foreign coach since 1965. Well, really, it's the first foreign coach. I mean, they, they had a, a Uruguayan 
for the Copa America of 1925, which was like three. I think he was in charge for three weeks. Okay. Uh, and uh, a couple of other times they've had him for like one game. And the one in 1965, it's a, a new stadium being inaugurated. We'll play a game with Brazil, but it's basically a club side. And we'll, we'll, we'll. so really, in terms of any long-term project, this is the first one. Ah. And it's certainly the first one since they started winning World Cups. You know, in 65, as I say, it was just one game. It's, it's, it's of no relevance whatsoever to the project, long-term project to the Brazilian national team. No, so this is history being, make, being uh, made. Okay, because I, I, well, I think, like anyone following the story, I just read First Foreign Coach since 1965, and it presumed at least the chap had maybe had a year or two. So why now? Why have they deemed now to be uh, the time to break with basically 100-plus years of tradition? Number one, they're off the pace. I mean, they keep losing to the European side as soon as they meet them in a knockout stage of the World Cup. Number two, there is a crisis in, in Brazilian coaching. And the reason that it's Fernando Geniz, you honestly, you can't really think of anyone else. Okay. You really can't. I mean, how many... Uh, there is no prejudice in, in top-class European football towards South American coaches. You know, Simeone, Pochettino. Pellegrini is from Chile. He had prejudice in Argentina when he went to work there, you know, and he's he's, he's been able to, he's, he's coached the biggest teams, you know, he's coached Real Madrid, uh, Man City uh, and, and, and so on. But who was the last Brazilian coach to be successful in European club football? Mm. You really can't, you, you've got to go way, way back. Um, and the last two, the big names who came over, uh, Scolari and Luxemburgo. And Scolari did all right. He did, he, he did well with the Portuguese national team, but that, that, that's a different thing. You get him into club football, Chelsea, no, it didn't work. Luxembourg at Real Madrid really didn't work. When the only one they've had in a Champions League game for for years now is Silvino, who lasted about five minutes at Lyon. Um, and this isn't this isn't coincidence. This isn't. There's no innate deficiency of the Brazilian people preventing them from from producing coaches. It's the calendar of the domestic game is is awful. There's just too many games. There's no time to train. There's lots of, you know, it's a huge country. So there's there's lots of traveling. Uh, so there's too many games uh, and uh, there's just too much impatience. The level of anger. I don't know if you saw, saw the story the, uh, the other night of yeah. uh, a Brazilian player who were uh, beaten up by supporters when he's in a, he's in a kind of sex hotel. Uh, and, uh, the stakes keep rising and rising and rising. There's no patience. There's no job security. Uh, and under these conditions, you just don't produce coaches. Um, they've lost space at home on almost all the impressive um, works of coaching in Brazilian football over recent years have been foreign. Uh, it used to be very, very rare to find foreign coaches in Brazilian football now. Lots of Portuguese, there's some Argentines being being successful um, as well. So th there's a crisis in, in Brazilian coaching. And that's why Denise stands out. Not so much for what he's actually done in terms of conquests, but in terms of the way he plays. And and, and, and that his, his stubborn single-mindedness has made him an interesting coach. But it does, as I say, it doesn't make him a stand-in for anyone. Brazil have appointed not a stand-in for for Ancelotti. In practice, I think they've, they've appointed a rival to Ancelotti. Mm. Interesting. Um, in the political sphere, I suppose it's been a difficult time in Brazil, and there's been a fervent kind of a nationalism 
I presume, which is bubbling away. So has that become a big talking point there that Johnny Foreigner, like of all things, the Brazilian national side and Bolsonaro trying to hijack the Brazilian jersey? I, I presume they're all saying, well, look, this is the problem with this country now. Carlo, who? Well, that's always there across the board in football. When football is, the, the national football team is is the most potent symbol of, of the Brazilian nation. Um, so that that nationalism that tend that tends to transcend all all political lines. Um, although there, there there is, I think, uh, and this has to do with football and not not with politics. Although they do overlap, there is a generational split here, and the the, the younger generation who've grown up with the I don't know, FIFA manager and all the rest of it, I think they uh, are much less put out by the idea of having a foreign coach than older people, and and the the group of people who I think who are less concerned. Who, for whom it really isn't an issue, are the players themselves. You know, because they're all they're, they're all playing under. I mean, they love and the ones who play or have played under An- Ancelotti love him. Yeah, Vinicius Junior says, "I want to work with him, whether it's for Real Madrid or whether it's for Brazil. Bring him in." Mm. So, as far as the players are concerned, it's really not a problem. Um, but it is, I think, perhaps more for for the older school than than anyone else. But you find lots of this kind of nationalism on the left as well. It, 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 it's not a monopoly on, of of the right. Okay, fair point. Uh, you mentioned that attack on a player. Corinthians uh, midfielder Luan uh, attacked. So kind of a strange situation just by angry fans who didn't like the performances kind of thing. Well, and he 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 was. I mean, when, when they won the Olympics in 2016, he was the one who came that They drew the first games nil-nil and he came into the team for the third game and he changed the team. He's a really talented player, a, a link man between attack and defence. Uh, and he was he was being linked with Premier League clubs. He, he he was voted the best player of the Americas in 2017 with Gremio, and it never happened. Okay. Uh, he's been at Corinthians for what, he's 30 now, and they've got nothing from him, really nothing from him at all. He hasn't played for ages. They've, they've, they've tried to loan him out. They've tried to get him off the wage bill. Uh, and the club coach, who is van der Luxemburg, he said, well, the supporters clearly don't want him at the weekend. Uh, now, Brazilian football is played in an atmosphere of anger, which is increasingly worrying, really worrying. And when when sides, when teams, they fly back um, from disappointing results, there, there will be supporters there at the airport ready to have a go at them. Um, Organised groups of supporters will sometimes invade the training ground. I say invade in inverted commas because usually that's a case of someone opening the key, op- opening the door for them, for, the, for them, for them to come in. And this this atmosphere of anger is increasingly worrying. Yeah. And you saw a few months ago, William he went back to Corinthians, the, the former Chelsea yeah. and Arsenal midfielder, and he said, "I'm not having it." death threats, threats to my family. I'm not having it. So he just ripped up his contract and went back to London. And he's very, very happy with the option that, that, that he made. Oh, I we did, will I end did, up with... I didn't, uh, didn't realise that was the reason Willian popped back that's up it. in my Premier League life. That, uh, that's the only reason. He'd gone back to Brazil to round off his career in Brazil mm. and all of the death threats and so on. He said, it just isn't worth it. I'm not doing it. Mm. I've got options. I can go somewhere else. I am going somewhere else, uh, wow. and we, we are we are moving towards a situation where fans are going to kill players. We're moving that way. The, this level of anger, and there there are a couple of reasons for this. One is that there's a level of anger in 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 big city Brazil, in Brazilian society, in the big cities. The other is that Brazilian football itself is a is a producer, a factor of, of discontent because. There's been a shift from a, a focus on regional to a focus on national. 
That's a huge country. And when the focus is on national, when the regional things don't mean much anymore, nationally, there aren't many titles left. You know, there's the league title, there's the cup, there's the the, the Champions League, the Libertadores, and the Europa League equivalent, the, 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 the Sudamericana. That's it. That's four titles available. And, and two of those are, are, of, are of the continents. And there's 12 clubs historically who consider themselves giants. And they can't win enough to maintain the giant status that they claim. And so something's got to give. Uh, and uh, th these things do link together because that level of anger and insatisfaction is one of the things that makes the atmosphere so difficult for coaches to work. All roads lead to Carlo Ancelotti's raised hmm. eyebrow. Yeah, wow, so interesting. When do you feel this period of anger really began to up a few notches noticeably? It's pretty much, I think, it's been here... And I was struck by it when I was first here, but it's cert it certainly got worse. Um, I can't put a precise a precise year on it. I can't. It's a little bit like the story of the the frog boiling in water. You know, w when it when it reached dangerous tipping point, I can't I can't really remember. Mm. Um, but that, that's one of the things of living in 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 a place of of danger. That's uh, and this is also a, a thing for um, Brazilian players who've had kids abroad. And when I come back, just the level of anger and violence in the big cities can really freak the kids out. Obviously, the players themselves are used to it because they grew up in Brazil. Mm. But if their kids have grown up in a, elsewhere, then uh, the reality of big city life in Brazil can be something of a shock. And I've had a chat with a few players who said, yeah, my kids were really freaked out when, when, when we took the decision to come back to Brazil. Okay. Um, yeah, well, very interesting. See what Carlo makes of it all. Uh, so is is like is Ancelotti's plan here to just never talk about this for the next year? I mean, I would think his press conferences are going to be interesting ASAP. Yeah, indeed, and the Spanish press aren't going to let it lie. No. But you know, he he can't enter into any any formal agreement until the last six months of his of his contract with Real Madrid. Okay, unless they show him the door. So I, I don't think. Well, maybe just a force of pressure will 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 oblige him to to make some kind of declaration. But uh, as I say, as far as I'm aware, there are still things to be worked out before he would sign any, anything. And there's still a few months to go before he can sign anything. So I think the conclusion maybe is we're living in interesting times and that are going to get even more interesting. Well, I didn't anticipate us spending so much time talking about Fernando Denise as part of this mm -hmm. story. But there you are. Who shipped as a final question? The uh, exit at the hands of Croatia is now um, a distant memory. Who shipped most of the blame? Who was the fall guy? It's always the coach, or usually it's the coach. Uh, yeah. And Achichi has kept a very low profile since. He's he's kept out of the of, of the of the public eye. Um, I was surprised that there wasn't. Because quite often they will, they love playing Hunt the Villain. It's one of the things in Brazilian football that distresses me, that the joy of playing Hunt the Villain. Um, and I suppose, and again, when they got knocked out at the final whistle after the penalty shootout, the coach walked away, walked into the dressing room. And I think the public would have liked to have seen him in floods of tears with the rest of the players on the field. Uh, so uh, perhaps a, a, a positive consequence of of him taking some of the flack is that he can lie low. You know, he's not working at the moment. He can lie low. And it's meant that that, that flat, less flack has, has fallen on the players. 
thankfully I haven't seen that much fall on those who missed the penalties because that's always a worry. Yeah. You know, it's one of the, it's the reason I hate penalty shootouts. In order for the penalty shootout to end, someone has to fail. Some individual has to has to be the villain. Um, but thankfully I, I haven't seen too much gone their way. I was surprised how little actually fell on Casemiro because uh, such a great player. But I think it's in that move where Croatia scored the, the, the equalising, I was pretty much the only shot they had on target and was deflected. He dives in. And, and had he held his position, I think he could have he could have stopped that, that, that counter-attack at source. Um, but thankfully, um, there, there hasn't been too much picking out on individual villains of, of players. And I think that's, uh, that's something to be applauded. Nice okay. positive note on which to end. Well, yes, indeed. Always good to talk to you, Tim. Thanks, Mel. My, my pleasure. Thank Cheers. you. Tim Vickery with us there.